Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Ben from Who Scored, and Jonathan Wilson is with us as always as well, albeit with a different background. It's the last weekend of the Premier League season, but before we get into that, let's talk about the England squad, Jonathan. That was announced yesterday. Lewis Duncan, which which was nice, I think he deserves it, has had a, had a really good season. Recall for Tyrone Mings. Eze, Eze, however you say his name nowadays, he asked for it to be changed, didn't he? Eze, now, I think he gets his first call-up, although he was due to be called up before, but got injured just before the Euros. I think it's quite a quite a nice-looking squad. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, the the, uh, the biggest thing about this is the realisation that there's still two England games to come after the Champions League final. This season has gone on forever. Still, they're not letting us go. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, realistically, against Malta and North Macedonia, England should win both pretty comfortably. Uh, but this feels like the, the the right kind of squad. A couple of new players in, just sort of, and yeah, Ezra's form recently has been excellent. And he's obviously been on the radar for a while. Um, I think Lewis Dunks, again, has been knocking on the door for a while and, and Brighton's form this season. If he's not going to get in now, he's never going to get in. So, uh, yeah, I think he deserves that. Uh, Ming, similarly, uh, you know, there had been that drop-off, but the last sort of four or five, well, since the World Cup, he's been excellent. So that makes complete sense. Yeah, people all moan about Maguire and Calvin Phillips being there, but you know, we know that Southgate likes Maguire. Maguire has been pretty consistently good in an England shirt. Um, you, you, suspect, you suspect that uh, Southgate's um, loyalty to him is partly based on what he's like around the camp, which... I, you know, I think is an important aspect, particularly at international level. Phillips is a really good player. He just can't get past Rodri. Um, so, again, I, I think that that's fine. And then, you know, Sterling missing out perhaps raises his eyebrows, but questions over his fitness. I know that all the talk was, um, oh, he needs to rest. Uh, and, again, that's fair enough. That's what he needs. But you also suspect that... Um, yeah, had this been a year, 18 months ago, would have been, oh no, Raheem Sterling's out. And, you know, at the Euros, he was England's best attacking player. Uh, well, that's that's not the case anymore. And, you know, he's not in the first 11. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think anybody would be too too disappointed he's not in the squad. Uh, so that, that suggests his, his declining importance over the last, last year, 18 months. Yeah, I mean, my biggest issue with the squad is that Ezra was listed in the midfielders instead of the forward. So you've got all these kind of like defensive midfielders and then Ezra was at, was at the end of the list. Surely he's a he's, he's classed as a forward down there. Exactly, Everyone knows exactly where I'm talking about because I'm pointing. I don't know why why they do it like that. Just put them in alphabetical order. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Because, like, I mean, forwards, like Grealish is down for as a forward, for example. Is he really a forward? I don't know. But it's, it's the yeah, way it's exactly. done. Anyway. And, yeah, it the full-backs are so different to centre-backs that so to group them together seems a bit weird. Like, you know, where does John Stones go these days? This is, you know, it plays out halfway between there. You, do you have to have a special John Stones category between defence and midfield? Well, he's special. Just... We know he's the best defender in, in Europe. <laughs> guess. Yeah, I, I just list him. I just list him in alphabetical order, I think. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's Breaking a good up like that just, just creates complication. It's fine. And it, it, and yeah, if it doesn't beat Malta North Macedonia, then, <laughs> then we got problems. Yeah, that, that's true. Southgate did reference, actually, that we haven't beat. North Macedonia the last two times that, that we've played them in, in his press conference yesterday. I sat there and watched his press conference because I'm very, very sad. Ben, the forwards then, or, stri- or strikers, it looks like it was a straight shootout between Callum Wilson and Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins was on fire. Probably the goals have dried up just at the wrong time and then Callum Wilson literally cannot stop scoring. 
at, at the moment. So in a straight shootout between those two, Callum Wilson won that battle. Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue with that. Um, Wilson's been in sensational form um, and he seems to kind of, of not necessarily the better fit uh, to support Kane, but kind of a different option for Kane, whereas Kane and Watkins perhaps like to sort of drift across the front, uh, the final third. Uh, Wilson will kind of stay more central and put the ball in the back of the net. So, you know, uh, he's he's got the two different strikers up there, but you, know, you can't really blame Southgate for going for Wilson, who's in the better form than Watkins at the moment. And of course, Callum Wilson will be playing Champions League football next season, presuming he stays at Newcastle, which I think he will. We're going to start this week by looking at the relegation battle and Newcastle fit into this kind of topically because they played Leicester on Monday, Jonathan. Did Leicester mess up? On Monday, was it a missed opportunity? Because their, their game plan was okay. You know, they stayed in the game, nil-nil, last 10 minutes. And suddenly in the last 10 minutes, Newcastle you felt kind of sat back and thought, ooh, what do we do here? Because we only need a point to qualify for the Champions League. Shall, shall we stop attacking? And that opened it up for Leicester a little bit. Had one chance to score, but it, it, it was all too late. But actually, that point may help them come the final day of results go their way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they realistically, they had to take a point from there. Yeah, if they lost that, it, it then becomes really difficult. Uh, Newcastle had won five of the previous six at home. The only game they hadn't was, was the Arsenal game where they, yeah, they could easily have won that. It was a very tight, very good game. Uh, yeah, they battered some sides. Uh, given Leicester's defensive issues, I think going to more defensive formation, um, essentially sitting the block of three central defenders, a block of three central midfielders, it it frustrated Newcastle probably as much as Leicester can frustrate Newcastle. So, I mean, look, there's the potential they looked after at the end of the season, but what you had to do from that game was to take take a point, and they did that. And and I think you can't be you can't let context affect too much your thinking on that. That you know, it, it's in any any other stage of the season, a point away at Newcastle for Leicester is a really good result. A team for a team fighting relegation to get a point at Newcastle at one of the top four is a good result. So I, I don't think you can be too critical. And you know, it nearly worked perfectly. They nearly, you know, if that um, like a Castagno effort had gone in, um, you know. They'd, they'd have pinched three points and you would have been praising the tactics. So I, I, I think, I, I mean, I think to be honest, if anything, they were lucky to get the, get the point. The fact that Newcastle hit the woodwork three times, there's a couple cleared off the line, but they, you know, they, they, I always remember Rafa Benitez after, the, uh, actually when he was managing Newcastle, it was a game against Manchester City when they had a, a ridiculously low amount of possession. I think, I don't know, 16, 17% possession which certainly at the time was a Premier League record low. And I think they got away with a draw. And Benitez said afterwards, when you're playing a team better than you, you've got to make the game as short as possible because the less time they have to score, yeah, the, the more chance you have of surviving. And that's sort of what Leicester did. They they they, they made the game as, as brief as they could. And then you had to go that last 10 minutes. And it, it might have worked better, but I think I think the point is fine. And yeah, they're, they're now relying on Bournemouth getting something at Everton, but that was pretty much inevitable. It's Everton v Bournemouth, Leeds v Spurs and Leicester v West Ham, Ben. Do you envisage a scenario where all three of those teams win because they're at home? They, they actually do all have winnable games. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if uh, they all came away with uh, victory. I think Tottenham look completely out of sorts. Now they look to just down tools. Um, so Leeds winning uh, in front of a 
you know, vocal Ellen Road wouldn't be a shock. Uh, West Ham are probably focused more focused now on the Conference League. They probably want to win just to get some momentum ahead of the final against Fiorentina. But Moyes will probably rest players with uh, with one eye on that game. And now Bournemouth are safe. So all three winning. I mean, it's the final day of the season. Anything can happen, and all three winning wouldn't be at all a huge shock. Yeah, Leeds kind of messed up last week, didn't they? Jonathan got themselves in the game at West Ham, but really from from nowhere. Just, just capitulating, you know, the story of their time in the Premier League. Really, the whole time they've been back in the Premier League is that they, they can't defend. They've, they've had goals in their team at times, but they just cannot defend to save their lives. But that was a real missed opportunity at West Ham last week. You expected them to go there under Allardyce and, and be a little bit better. But it's almost I felt like Big Sam was almost shrugging his shoulders and kind of saying, well, if I can't, if I, if I can't get this team going, then nobody will be able to. It seems particularly to have been a, a, a trope of the last sort of, six weeks or so that since that Palace game, when they were one up and flying, and then Palace nicked the goals before half time and they collapsed. They collapsed against Liverpool, they collapsed against West Ham. Uh, I mean, Luke Ayling spoke afterwards of the you know, f- fatigue they felt in the second half, a lack of fitness. And you wonder whether that might be a hangover from, from the Bielsa days, that, that you know, all those miles are still in their legs. And um, it's a big problem for them because. Yeah, repeatedly this season, uh, but particularly the last few weeks, they've started games really well. They've maybe taken the lead, and then just fallen away second half. Um, and if you're doing that at West Ham against a team really with nothing to play for in the league, a team that's focusing on another competition, that's that's a big worry. You know, you, you sort of think against a team with nothing to play for, if you can get a lead, you've got a bit of momentum, you should be able to to, to keep that going, and to fall away as they did. It, it wasn't that West Ham picked them off on the break. So West Ham were the better side second half by far. Um, that That is a big problem. Now, maybe at home, maybe with a home crowd against the Spurs side that, you know, of, of what, like the last nine away games, they've drawn two and lost seven in all competitions. You know, may, maybe they can can get the win, but you sort of feel that they, Leeds have had so many opportunities in the last couple of months that they haven't taken. You sort of, you, you sort of think it's, it's probably too late for them that, um, the fact they need the two other results to go their way. Uh, they're, they're obviously the favourite of those three to go down. Yeah, Everton in the best position, Ben. Their home form was really what kept them up last season. Their fans made it a hostile place to go. They, they got behind the team and, and made it an intimidating atmosphere, but, but basically really got behind them. And I think they dragged Everton over the line last season. In a one-off game at home to Bournemouth, given the fact they're in the best position as well, they feel best place to stay up of the three. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you mentioned the home form. Dodge came in. This is kind of the what they'd fall back on would be turning Goodison Park into this hostel uh, place for teams to go. Um, and yeah, they've had some dodgy results there. Um, you know, but they they have shown that they can remain competitive in games. The City game before Gundogan scored, they were really frustrating. Uh, the City attack. Uh, obviously, they beat Arsenal at home. They got that draw with Tottenham as well. Um, Definitely the best place to go. Uh, definitely the best place team to stay up, um, especially against a Bournemouth side that is you know, has nothing to play for. They could just look forward to the summer now. Um, so, yeah, Everton obviously the understandable favourites to keep their head above water this time around again. Yeah, and we've got a, a relegation threatened combined eleven this week. I presume fitness isn't a factor in this. This is just based off average range through the whole season, Ben. Yep, so we've gone for 15-plus appearances. We've got Pickford in goal, Castagne, Tarkovsky, Werber and Strauch in defence. Midfield is Madison, Adams, Tielemans, and then up front is Iwobi, Rodrigo, McNeil. Jonathan, would that team 
stay in the Premier League? Probably. Um, but yeah, then I, th- I sort of look at the, the, you know, the squads of these three teams as they are anyway and think, yeah, all of them possibly should have stayed up. Um, yeah, I, I think from the point of view of squads, I think Southampton and Bournemouth at the start of the season looked significantly the weakest. Um, <laughs> seem to be how Scott Parker saw things. Um, <laughs> that is how Scott Parker saw things. So, yeah, I mean, look, Leicester, I think there was a, uh, two, you know, two things happened there. So one was the, the owners had financial difficulties because of the pandemic, you know, their business being in duty-free shops and airports. But also Brendan Rodgers was pushing for more sort of Premier League proven players rather than players they could they could train up, which has always been their way. Um, and that, I think, hasn't particularly worked. You know, they spent that £60 million or something before last. Um, you know, Ryan Burton on a free, who's played four games, I think it is, um, or started four games. Um, and also brought in um, Samare, Dakar, and one other... Uh, remind me who the other one is. Best of God, kind of in it work. Best of God, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And none of them have really worked. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think Dakar and Samara, you've seen little flickers of, of what Leicester saw, but it hasn't been consistent enough. Um, so it's, you know, it's clearly not as strong a squad now as, as it was two years ago. And, and losing Schmeichel, the aging of Vardy, you know, those, those have all negatively affected them, I, I think. Um, just the way the squad's gone, they, they've they're now tending to play with only one centre forward. I don't think that gets the best out of Vardy. I think he's better playing off somebody. Um, yeah, so you think of him playing off Ajoa or, or, or playing off um, Okazaki. That was when he was at his best, and yeah, he doesn't. You know, with Ianacho, it doesn't seem quite to work, or with Daka, it doesn't seem quite to work. So, yeah, they're not as strong as they were, but still, this is a team that's gone fifth, fifth, eighth. Yeah, they, they they should be better than this. I mean, Everton just do that thing of buying players when they have no value left in them. Uh, I don't think you can really say any of the players they've signed have been bad players. Yeah, in a Wobi or Andros Townsend or Damari Gray or you know, they're all individually good players. It's just when you buy a clump of them, you're buying players with no resale value, and that puts you under economic pressure. And part of the reason they sign them is they need an immediate impact. So they think, right, we'll get somebody who we you know, we know he's a sort of mid-table or above Premier League player. Um, but again, yeah, there's obvious, obvious holes in that squad, especially at centre-forward when Calvert-Lewin's not fit. Um, but that, that squad should be good enough to be higher than, than they are. I think they've made some pretty strange managerial decisions at times. Uh, Leeds, possibly, you'd say, yeah, that, that is a squad of a, a relegation-threatened team. But again, you look at the squad building going very much for that sort of American Red Bull model mm. and then having invested in that in January, you sacked the Red Bull coach a week into February. Yeah. So that that's, doesn't smack a joint of thinking either. And maybe there is a hangover from Bielsa. We've seen that at other teams that that I think Bielsa, not merely the physical demands he places on players, but the psychological and emotional demands, the, the sort of the way he, he lifts players up, that there is a crash when, when he goes or, or when his magic stops working. Um, so I think I think Leeds' position is more understandable, but yeah, Leicester or Everton, I, I think both of them will will think we yeah you know, we shouldn't really be in this position. How, how have we got here? Got a book on Bielsa up there. I, w- I wonder if we know anyone else that's that's got a book coming out. Jonathan, do, do you know anyone? Yeah, I, I've actually. I'm glad you asked. I've got a book coming out on June yeah. the eighth. It's the update to uh, the best-selling inverting the pyramid. 
Uh, the fourth edition, 15 years since it first came out, fully updated now, takes up to the World Cup. So if you go on my Twitter, you'll see the link to pre-order, or, or you can you know go to any normal bookshops, your, your Amazons, your Waterstones, your, your bookshop.org, or you can just send me a five on the post if you prefer. Formerly of Ted Lasso as well, Jonathan's book. Not the last two episodes, though. It wasn't on yesterday's episode either. I've just realised Harvey Barnes is not in the not in the combined eleven. He's, he's got double he hasn't figures had a good for season, goals. Has he? He's, he's got double figures for goals. And well. I'd have thought his goal output might have got him in the team over a Wobi, for example. No, nah, well, he? Uh, Barnes is double figures, I think, Jonathan. Double figures in the team at the bottom three is is, is pretty poor. You, you you touched on something interesting actually that I wanted to, wanted to get into, Jonathan. I think Leeds and Leicester, in hindsight, it's the best tool that you can have in football. It's brilliant. They'd have sure they'd have just been better off sticking with the managers that they had. In, in my opinion, like you said, Leeds invested so much in that Red Bull model, and I actually always thought they were in the games under Jesse Marsh. They were always they might not win, but I always felt that they were playing for him and they were they, they were playing well and they were a little bit unlucky at times. And Leicester, they just left it so long to sack Brendan Rodgers. They were going to get rid of him, get rid of him earlier on in the season. They obviously didn't want to because of the compensation. But then they've done it when there's no time for any impact to be made off the back of it. And they lost two games with a caretaker manager that were probably winnable games as well. So I think those two teams would both look back and maybe stick with their managers. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's just what people do, isn't it? That you know, your form's poor. There's this sort of seemingly inevitable decline. Something must be done. Sacking the manager is something. Therefore, we must do it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I mean, well, Dean Smith's taken six points from seven games, I think. Um, so yeah, if he if he wins against West Ham, you say nine points from eight games. That's yeah, that's probably well. I mean, over a season that that would keep you up. It's not that dissimilar to Dyche actually. Dyche has taken what is it, eighteen from seventeen? Um, so potentially twenty-one from eighteen. He's had, he's had a longer time, hasn't he, Dyche? That's that's the point. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I'm saying that that ratio just over a point a game would would keep you up. That would get you to, to forty points. Um, and then, yeah, but Leeds under Allardyce, you're one point from three, but I mean, one of them's against Manchester City, so it's, it's a, and one of them's against Newcastle, so <coughs> yeah, you, you you can't really judge him on that, on, on having taken a you know, 0.33 of a point per game from, from three games, which include Newcastle and, and City. Um, but but yeah, I think I think Leeds will will, will obviously regret the grassy appointment that that didn't work out. Um, should they have gone for Sam early? I mean, I think that would have would have smacked the desperation. But but I just don't understand if you if you had doubts about Jesse Marsh, don't sign a load of Jesse Marsh players in January. It just doesn't just doesn't add up. I mean, Everton did that with Benitez. You know, they 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 yeah. signed a couple of Benitez players and then sacked them the next week. And you sort of you know it's the left hand needs to know what the right hand's doing. And I think you see in that exactly why these clubs are in in that mess because. The club's not working as a as a coherent whole. Everton sold Luca Dean to Villa because he had fell out with Benitez, so they did that, and then Benitez literally, like you say, got the sack the next week. The, the, the joined up thinking at these some of these clubs is just like you say, it's it's why they're down there because they're not they're not run well. That Everton, I mean Leeds, sorry, spent thirty five million pounds on a player who you barely seen on the pitch, and at this moment in time doing a podcast, I just can't even remember his name, Ruta. Yeah. You, can't, you can't be down the bottom and spending 30, what, 35 million pounds on, on a prospect and they're not playing at all. 35 million when, and you're gonna probably going to go down. You've already spent a load of money on a player that you didn't even end up keeping because you messed up with uh, Augustinson from, 
from Music Leipzig. At the time, the money they've thrown down the drain is frightening. And, and you, you see this quite often with um, teams. So, so in the uh, Sunderland did this as well. So they um, they loaned Gidong Wan to Augsburg, failed to register properly when he returned, and they, they end up getting fined. I think five million pounds, but they could have been docked points for that. Yeah, they played him when he wasn't registered, and that was entirely sort of a bureaucratic error within the club. They had that thing with Ricky Ricky Alvarez, you know, the Argentinian who they 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 got from from Inter, and they they got him on loan. And I think it was compulsory purchase of ten million at the end of the season. And it was, it was obviously, you know, he, he wasn't up to it and his knee was all over the place. Sunderland tried to get out of it and they've ended up having to, to you know, to pay extra because they, you know, they'd signed a stupid deal for a player they obviously hadn't done due diligence on. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I, I think, I think running a club well is not as simple as the best clubs make it look. But equally, it's a lot easier than the bad clubs make it look. They just basic competence, like stuff that stuff that if you were playing football manager, you'd be annoyed at yourself having done badly. They just do week to week. Yeah, it, it, uh, Victor Orta has ended up leaving Leeds. I can't believe he didn't go earlier. Some of the decisions that have, that have been made there are, are absolutely baffling, but we're spending too long talking about the, the, the relegation picture. I need a name from you then. Who's going who's gonna to stay up? Ben? Everton staying up. Jonathan? Everton. Yeah, I can't. You can't argue with it. They're the best players, aren't they? Bournemouth at home. Well, it's just I mean, Bournemouth have lost the last three, haven't they? They they're on the beach and they absolutely deserve to be on the beach. They yeah. They they they, they everything they've done this season has led them to a point where there's no pressure on them. So you can't blame them now for playing like there's no pressure on them. And that no Calvert Lewin. No Calvert Lewin is the only thing there. They're much better when Calvert Lewin's in the side and he's not going to be there because yet again, he's injured. Just just can't catch a break. That guy. Let's look at the European picture now. The race for the top seven. Ben, your team. You probably don't even want them to to finish seventh. But where, where do Tottenham go from here? He slot the right man to come in and manage them next season. I mean, the main reason I want Arne Schlott to come in is because I want Tottenham to win silverware and for the headlines to be Tottenham hit jackpot on slot machine. Unfortunately, Ben, to interrupt you, we've just had some breaking news in our ear that Slot is, is staying at final, so you won't get to do your headline. You won't ever see that Slot Machine headline that you that you just contrived to make up. So no. Tottenham <laughs> looks like they've been rejected by, by another manager. So what do they do now? I can, almost, I can see I mean, how this, bewildered this, you this are by point. this. I, I don't think even Tottenham know what to do now. Um I've is Nuno in mind. work still, or where, where's Nuno at the moment? Nuno's in Saudi Arabia. Oh, so he, he he there, but... he'd be better off staying there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> things with Tottenham is there's no manager for the men's team, no manager for the women's team. There's no director of football, so there's no direction where the club are going. I mean, the board will want one manager. Someone else will say they want this manager. Um, they've got Scott Munn coming in as the chief football officer. Uh, I think first of July, but. You need someone to come in now. Someone should have come in as soon as Paratici was resigned. You have a contingency plan in place and you go and find the right manager. Um, obviously, there's talk that Tottenham could go back for Nagelsmann if the director of football uh, proposes, says he's the right man for the fit, the uh, right man for the job. Um, and now it just seems that now that slot's not happening, you have to go back for Nagelsmann. Um yeah, no idea what to do with Tottenham now. They're just a rudderless club drifting aimlessly towards, you know, relegation. 
in my opinion. Not they relegation, but you know they what I mean. They won't go down. Out, out of the European places just... completely. Oh, yeah, Rude Van, Nistel- Van Nistelrooy left his job yesterday, didn't he? He's had a good season. Did he? At Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. I believe he left his job. I could have dreamt that, but I'm pretty sure that he left his job. I mean, if they went back in for Nagelsmann, Jonathan, and he came, that would feel very much like when Conte turned them down the first time and then they end up getting him anyway. But then he's just never happy because he's not getting the, the assurances he wants. That, that would feel very similar to me. And this also feels very similar to when they got Nuno because they just kept messing around, kept getting rejected, couldn't get in who they wanted, couldn't find a manager, so they just drafted in Nuno, they just they don't seem to have learned their lesson at all from the last time they were looking for a manager. Yeah, I mean, there's two things there, aren't there? So there's the ineptness of the pursuit, but also there's the way it's been played out in public. I mean, I'm sure a lot of managerial decisions come after a lot of phone calls to a lot of people and a lot of negotiations that end up going nowhere. That's, that's the nature of these things. But it looks bad when fans get excited because, oh, Pochettino's coming back. Oh, we're getting Nagelsmann. Oh, we're getting Anish Lott. He's done brilliant things for Feyenoord. And then you haven't got any of them, and you know it ends up being a, a, you know a less stellar name. And like Nuno, he, he's then starting with everybody already sort of you know in this sort of damp fog um, of sort of just yeah not having that 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 sense of purpose of the club moving forward. Yeah, you know, when you appoint a new manager, particularly when you do it in the summer, what you want is is that to stimulate optimism. Now that doesn't mean you have to necessarily appoint the you know, the flashiest, most charismatic bloke, but you need somebody who you know, can 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 sort of ignite the fire under under the thing, especially when Tottenham have had three seasons like they've had. Um, so I, I don't know where they do go next. I mean, would Nagelsmann even even want it? I mean, and the thing is now, presumably, if Nagelsmann were to take it, he could. You make whatever demands he wants. You know, a skateboard ramp at the training pitch or whatever. Um, you know, it's 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 just it's already a mess, and already whoever comes in is going to be under pressure. I'm actually bewildered, but I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't really care what what Tottenham do. Ben looks well. I like care. Ben, ben, looks like I care. ben looks like he's had enough. Ben just doesn't really I, want to do the it's, podcast. It's hard not to have had enough. Like. Uh, I was at the Tottenham-Brentford game on Saturday. In the first 45 minutes, Tottenham were really good. Um, they went ahead early on through Kane. They had chances to kind of go 2-3, three, 3-0 three up. And had that David Reyes save uh, on for that Sun Kyung Min chance. And you think, right, this is really positive. Tottenham playing 4-2-3-1. It's good attacking football. You've got four attacking players on the pitch. And we actually look like a cohesive unit. Uh, second half, Brentford score early on. And Tottenham just collapsed again. And it's just the same old Tottenham now. And it's just, again, no, we no idea where the club's going, no idea what to expect in the next day, let alone the next season. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we, you know, I thought Leeds would beat us, beat Tottenham on Sunday. I think they're going to absolutely pummel us now. I don't think Tottenham even care about the season. I don't think they care about getting to the Conference League. Um, it's just it's just frustrating. Like you, Fans can see what they want from the club and the club can't see what they want from the club. So it's just, you're watching from the outside in, you think, you're pulling your hair out, wondering what what are you doing, and it's so frustrating. I mean, it's a poor take for me, so I don't care about Tottenham. That's that's not true. But basically, at the moment, as a, as a Villa fan, I, I don't want Tottenham to do well because they. I say Tottenham has been a team that Villa can usurp and become become bigger than in in, in the years to come because they're just not run properly, they're not run well. But you know, I I care because I'm a London-based football journalist, and I, I want to go to the Tottenham Stadium because it's a nice place to go and the food's good and it's easier than getting a train to, to the northwest or the northeast or, or the Midlands. 
Um, I mean, you know, the transport is a bit annoying, but it's nowhere near as annoying as Liverpool uh, or Manchester. So, you know, for the for the sake of me, if nobody else, Tottenham need to pull their finger out. I don't. I mean, I don't think they considered that. No, probably not. Probably not. But for for me and you, obviously operating at the, the same level of football journalism, I want the I want them the Midlands teams to do well, Jonathan. That that that's what I need. It's different for everyone. Everyone's got different different needs, haven't they? But without Harry Kane, Tottenham would have got twenty four fewer points this season. Surely, I mean, he must be looking at this, Jonathan, and be thinking, "There is no way I am staying here. This is just an absolute joke." Yeah, I mean, they they wouldn't have got twenty four fewer points, would they? Because they would have played somebody else, and somebody else the, probably would have scored twenty eight goals. It's in the script, but they, they, I mean, yeah, they probably would have got ten fewer points, say twelve fewer points. Um, I mean, he's become a specialist in scoring the Tottenham goal and three one four one defeats, uh, which I guess is non ideal. Yeah, I mean, he he he's he's waited at Tottenham as long as anybody could realistically expect him to. If he leaves now to go to Manchester United, seem to be the, you know, the ones really making noise about signing him. Yeah. He'd have to be a very, very blinkered Spurs fan not to think, you know what, fair enough. You know, he's, he's we've let him down. It's not him letting us down. Um, and, and if he wants to win something in his career rather than his career just sort of dribbling away, what 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 are Tottenham get? What are they offering him to to make him stay? And it's, it's very hard to see any reasons why why he should stay. So um, I, I sort of even so sort of a couple of months ago I was sort of assuming. Yeah, Kane would stay because being a one club man, you know, potentially you know, winning something with Tottenham would be would mean so much more than winning it with you know perennial winners. Um but the yeah, Spurs just don't offer that. And you know, if you go to Manchester United, Manchester United had the you know, the League Cup this year was the first thing they've won since since the uh, Europa League under Mourinho. Yeah. Um so they hadn't won anything in Six years? Was that, was that 2017 they won that? So it's, it's not like they're serial winners where he's going there guaranteed medals. But that is still a better prospect, a better chance of winning things than than you imagine Tottenham to be next season. I mean, this could be a wild shout from there, but I've been saying on another podcast that I do as well. I think Kane will stay at Spurs next season. And then I think he'll go on New- to Newcastle on a free. Well, I mean, Newcastle haven't won a, a, a trophy since 1969, so uh, which crucially is four, four years before Sunderland last won a trophy. So, again, you know, they, they, they're no guarantee of, of silverware, but, yeah, they, they're, they're more likely to win win something in the next couple of years than, than Spurs are, clearly. It's not even the, I mean, obviously, he, he will want to win something because that's going to be levelled at him for the, for the rest of his life if he doesn't win anything in his career. But you at least want to be at a club that feels like they're progressing in, in the right direction, like moving forward. Spurs are just going backwards. Anything Spurs can offer him at the moment is the captaincy of Lloris leaves next season. That's literally all, all they've got and probably a shed load of money. But Oh, brilliant. So he gets to do press conferences after they lost disappointingly. <laughs> yeah, he's, look, he's, I know, I know he's, he sort of he, he tends to sort of talk anyway. He sort of obviously yeah. Yeah, feels a responsibility, but now he's actually mandated to do it with a bit of cloth around his arm. I'm not sure how big a deal that is. He's, he's got to go, Harry Kane. I'm, I'm sorry, Ben, to upset you, but he absolutely has to for the sake of his no. own career. Yeah, why, yeah. Why, why would you start? And on the Tom, topic, of, agree. don't worry. Yeah, Tom, okay. agree. <laughs> that's good. On the topic of English strikers, Brentford have got to cope without Ivan Tony until January. You saw Brentford firsthand at the weekend. Great team. Had, had a great season. Annoyingly for me, from a little bit out of nowhere, can still actually qualify for Europe and and finish seventh. But 
they'll miss Tony, but you'd imagine they'll purchase someone in January. And they've got Sharda, who they've bought in as well. And to be honest, I think Visser and Mbwema have grown as Premier League players in the time Brentford have been in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, you look at Mbwema, he sort of under the radar with Tony there. And um, I mean, I think he's got nine league goals this season. Four, five of those are coming in the four games that Tony didn't feature in. So they do have the um, quality, well, quality in attack to cover his loss. It's just... Mbwemo doesn't really offer doesn't offer the same as Tony. Visa probably isn't the same level as Tony. Still a good striker, but not the same level as Tony. It's just if they do make Europe and they go in the well in the end, the long run, uh, they need that strength and depth, and they will miss Tony until January. That's that goes without saying. He's been absolutely unbelievable for Brentford this season, um, but they do have the decent backups in Visa and Mbwemo for now. If they don't make get European football, we feel like they could muddle through until January when Tony's back again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, credit to Mbwemo where it's due. He's flourished without Tony being there when previously he was kind of the sidekick in that uh, in that striking duo. He's a, he's a good player, Mbwemo. I think he always causes his team problems cutting him from that right-hand side on, onto his left foot. Jonathan then, Aston Villa in seventh at the moment. So at the moment, Villa will get European football for the first time in over a decade, which I'd be absolutely delighted with. Do you think they'll do it? Do you think they'll get over the line? And just how good has, has Unai Emery done there? Yeah, I think, I mean, they're, 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 they're in the position, aren't they? So, yeah, they, they are favoured. They should do so. Um, yeah, I mean, Emery's done a remarkable job. I, I, you know, I never thought Gerard was a good appointment. Um, but, st- and, and, you know, Villa have sort of slightly under the radar spent quite a lot of money over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I th- yeah, I think their their position under Gerard was not a false position because that is how badly they were playing, but it was a false position relative to how good the squad was. And and Emery's come and, and unleashed that. And if anything, now you'd say that their form is slightly a false position the other way that that they're mm-hmm. overperforming. Um, but you know, again, it's it sort of I don't think Emery's done anything. You know, spectacularly unusual. He's just got a clear plan and he's enacted it and he's he's got players pulling together and, and everybody knows what they're doing. He simplified things. And you know, his record at clubs who finished sort of who yeah, who are not necessarily in a title race but are one tier down, his record is exceptional in Spain. Um so yeah, he's clearly very, very good at that. I, th- I think maybe he was over criticized at Arsenal that people expected a a bigger post Wenger bounce, um, but then you, you you look at how patchy Arteta certainly his start was, and you sort of realise I think that that um, Emmy was in a difficult position there, and the job he did it wasn't a great job, but it, it certainly wasn't a terrible job either. So so yeah, I think he you know he has done a he has, he's obviously done a really good job, and I guess next season I, I suppose seventh is still the target because. There are seven richer clubs, but one of them is Tottenham. So you think, well, that Villa can certainly finish above Tottenham. You've got Brighton, obviously, you know, might lose a couple of players, but they might bring a couple in. Um, they'll they'll be battling that. Chelsea surely will be better next season. Um, so to get you're know, breaking into the top six, I think is really really difficult. Um, so, but seventh feels about the level, and that's why he's taken the team from a very unpromising start. Yeah, I think and just to win a trophy as well is, is what the Villa fans want. Haven't won anything since 1996. And if Villa do get into Europe, they've got the, the right manager to, to try and win a, win a European trophy, really. The Villa fans Absolutely, will, yeah. Villa fans well, will the, go the wild the for the Conference League. It's a, very, it's a very odd thing, isn't it? I mean, I'm sort of broadly pro it. 
because I think it's it's a good way of, of distributing revenue to smaller leagues. Um, it's a good way of getting them European football, getting them exposure, getting them six you know, big-ish games a season uh, you know, as, as a minimum. Um, it's it, it offers that possibility that you finish seventh in the Premier League and that means that there's a chance of European football for the likes of, of Villa, West Ham, um, Leicester, um, who, who you know, even, I don't know, even sort of Burnley say it's, it's not impossible. They could, the, 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 the momentum of promotion could carry them. You know, some pretty odd teams have finished seventh before. And if that gets you into Europe, that's, that's something worth aiming for. Burnley, Burnley have once, been in Europe. Well, yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but once you're, I mean, yeah, that was before there's a big six, though, wasn't it? So it's it's a slightly different situation, but it, it offers that possibility. But once you're there, and you know, I was talking to uh, to a West Ham fan the other day, and he was saying he he kind of he's a bit divided on what the Conference League means. He's sort of on the one hand, he's really excited during the games, and he's yeah, he's delighted they got to the final. But on the other hand, he's sort of thinking, hang on, we've got a sixty thousand capacity stadium, we're beating Alkmaar, he's got. I don't know what capacity they're saying. It's 20,000, something like that. Of course, we should be beating these teams. And so there is a sense of sort of for Premier League clubs that you're just bullying these smaller teams, um, and and that actually the 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 there isn't quite the excitement, there isn't quite the glamour you should get from from European competition because the Premier League is is so much wealthier. And that, you know, that's a that's a problem not of the competition, but a problem of the way that revenues are distributed. It's good teams like Villa and Brighton qualifying for, for Europe, though, if, if Villa do, of course, qualify for Europe. And Brentford, if they, if they were to qualify for Europe, because they've got, they'll take it seriously and they've got fans that, that will embrace it because they haven't been in Europe either ever or for, or for a long time. So I think it, it's a positive thing. And you look at West Ham, they had a great run last year in the Europa League. They're in the Conference League this year and the fans have embraced it and they've really enjoyed it. And if they win that trophy, Whenever that game's that game's probably not being played for another six weeks, whenever they, whenever, if they win that trophy, it's, it'd be the uh, best day of their lives. So, Week on Wednesday, that final. Yeah. Oh, well, I can't, I can't wait. But the uh, thing I don't understand what the UEFA have done there, that it's it's in it's in Prague in a 20,000 capacity stadium, so there's only 5,000 tickets per team, which yeah, just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I know you don't want empty seats, and I know that they want to you know, take these finals to, to venues that wouldn't get the bigger finals, but surely you set 35,000, 40,000 minimum, and... Yeah, there's plenty of cities in Europe that have a stadium that big that you could host it in. Um, and you know, it was it was Toronto last year, wasn't it? So okay, it's nice for Toronto to get it. It's nice for Prague to have it. Although Prague must have a stadium bigger than twenty thousand, surely. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I still think there's there's other places you could go uh, that would allow more fans to go, which which surely is part of the point of it. If you want fans to embrace it, you've got to give them a chance to get there. And also, I don't really understand why there's 10,000, yeah, why half a stadium is going to non-fans. Surely this competition, of all the competitions, is the one where you say, this is the fans' competition. It's, 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 it's not about sponsors. It's not about the corporate stuff, which they need to generate revenue for the Champions League and, and, and maybe Europa League. Surely this is one where it can be more of a, a, you know, a fans' event rather than, you know, I mean, 5,000 West Ham fans is not, you know, it's nothing compared to their, their fan base. Yes, it is. I'm already worried that if Villa do qualify for Europe and get to the final next season, I'm going to struggle to, to get. Well, they haven't announced where the final is, have they? I think they announced that later this month. Yeah, hopefully it's year. a bigger ground than twenty thousand. Anyway, otherwise, I mean, Sunderland could host it. Sunderland's got forty-eight thousand. We'd happily host it. 
I'm not saying that. that. I haven't talked to anybody at the club, but I'm assuming we would. Oh, I, I, as a man of Sunderland, would be happy for us to host it. And whether we do, whether we do championship rounds for, for for European Cup finals, I'm not sure. Not sure about that. I'm not sure how it it's works. A championship team is not a championship ground. That's true. That, well, yeah, that's that's definitely true. There's definitely some, possibly some some League One, League Two grounds in uh in, in the Premier League at the moment, and potentially one to come as well. Let's talk a little bit about Coventry v Luton. One of those, of course, will be in the Premier League next season. Ben, let's uh, let's actually start with the, with the combined eleven of of these of these two teams. It's just fascinating. I mean, Mark Robbins at Coventry, I know a bit more about about them, has done an unbelievable job. But Rob Edwards walking into Luton as well. To, to, to have them in the final, if Luton to get into the Premier League, that's one of the be- one of the best achievements any club's ever ever had, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, it'd be a remarkable achievement uh, if they do defeat Coventry on uh, this, this weekend. I think it's Saturday, isn't it? Um, so they combined eleven. We've got four three one two. Uh, Wilson and goal. Drama McNally, Lockyer, Doherty, Doherty, sorry, in defence. Uh, Hamer, Villa favourite, marvellous Nakamba and Sheaf make up the midfield. Uh, Clark behind Guy Carez and Morris. Jonathan, in goal for the team, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, look, I haven't played for, for, for some time, um, but I, hang on, it's on. When am I playing this game? You're Saturday. Well, Saturday the combined part. 11 are never playing, but you're, 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 Wilson playing, was in uh, goal in that 11, anyway. Playing, playing cricket, sorry, I'm going to have to pull out. Right, um, I've, you know, I've already got my name down for that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm better cricket than I ever was at football, so. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I cricket haven't... football in that order. That's yeah, that'd be the manner. <laughs> Uh, I haven't, I haven't seen enough of either side to to sort of uh, put together a counter eleven. What I will say is that um, Gekovic was, you know, is really really good. He's he's a yeah, physically very powerful, holds the ball up well, but he's got a bit more than that as well. And uh, Lockyer, I think at Luton is is the you know the player who's really stood out, really commanding centre back. Um, Score for a bit Lockyer. Was it no, I, I completely so. imagine I've gotten confused with someone else. I mean, it's something that had a million players in the last ten years. It is possible, but I don't remember him. Okay. Um, but he, he, you know, he scored in the um, second leg of the playoff semi. Um, he's just a proper old school centre back, but yeah, not maybe a bit better on the ball than that implies. So they're, they're both quite physical, both quite direct teams. Um, yeah, the rise of both of them, the fact that five years ago they, they, um, yeah, they're, they're coming out of League One. Um, it's an incredible achievement for, for either of them. Um, they're, they're not they're not teams you relish playing as a you know, as a club in the championship. You know, you know that it's a physical battle. Whether that translates to the Premier League, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, whichever of them goes up will be favoured to go down clearly. Um, and I, I think probably both of them have to sort of go up with the mindset of if we stay up, it's a bonus. Let's go. Let's not do anything daft, and let's take the money to to consolidate, so we can have a, a better crack at it in three or four years' time. Um, a bit like what Bournemouth did, because you know they'd have been the favourites to go down when they came up, but they started it relatively comfortably in their in their. Foot. Yeah, but I I think the style of football makes a difference there because I think if you if you play more progressive, more possession based football, I think that translates to the Premier League a, a bit better than this pretty sort of direct style that both have. Um, I, I don't think Premier League defences can be physically rattled in the way that both Coventry and Luton have, have physically rattled uh, Championship defences. Um, and and the, the issue you have then is: do you do you do you try to, to to change your style to adapt to the Premier League? And I'm not sure that necessarily. Looks, I mean, like, Luton aren't aren't just a direct team at all. I, I don't want to make it sound like they're two 
long ball teams, but they are clearly physically very imposing sides. Yeah, Luton got 10 points more than Coventry over the season. I th- I, from what I saw, I'd say they were the more impressive team. Um, they do have the issue if they go up, they're going to have to spend 10 million on the ground to make that ready when they're already moving, you know, building a new stadium. So that feels a bit like wasted money. But on the other hand, they'll, yeah, they'll get way more than that from TV revenues. I mean, that's blowing my mind that they've got to do that. I didn't know that. And it's made me completely forget. Well, what I was going to say. Let's not forget Nathan Jones's part in all this. That was what I was going to say. That was what I was going to say. I was going to say it's almost a shame that we got the brief cameo of Nathan Jones in the Premier League for Southampton. And he obviously ended up ended up leaving, but some brilliant soundbites that will stay with Premier League fans forever. It's almost a shame that he isn't the one that's got Luton in this position and he's not the one to get them up because we'd probably have a whole season of Nathan Jones then in the Premier League. He's at the foundation, to be fair. No, look, he did a wonderful job at at Luton, Mm. but then he went into Southampton and completely lost the plot. And his his camp bed is still in the manager's office. Rob Edwards was saying before the semi-final that he's he's going to have to bring him up in the summer and ask him to come and pick up his camp bed. Nathan Jones. That's brilliant. Still baffling that Man City could have won the quadruple were it for Nathan Jones. I like to think that Nathan Jones somewhere just sleeps on the floor because he doesn't have his camp bed and he can't collect until the summer. Yeah, he fails to make it. I'm sure he collect any time. He wouldn't go and buy a new one, though, would he? When he knows he's got a perfectly good one waiting for him at Luton still, he's not going to go and purchase a new, a new camp bed. Absolutely. You know the story about the table tennis table as well, do you? No, please enlighten me. So he, he felt that Luton players were over-focused on, on their table tennis competitions. So rather than doing what a... What a um, a less dynamic man might do, and just saying to them, like lads, you maybe just tone down the table tennis. He he stormed into the players' room, grabbed the table tennis table, dragged it into the car park, smashed it up, and set it on fire. Which club was this at? At Luton. Like, <laughs> this is a start. They would have always done well as well. That's, yeah. that was a bizarre thing the, to the, do. Maybe that was the start of it. This is the start of their, their great rise a sacrifice of the table tennis table, wow. a burnt offering to the gods. Jonathan, can you for your next book? Can you just write one on Nathan Jones, please, and just tell all these stories? Tell all these stories. I need to know more. I need to know more it, about him. It could be. It could be a true or false book. So is this story about Nathan, <laughs> Nathan Jones? Yeah, true that or false? Doesn't, <laughs> that, that doesn't that, sound real, but it's no, perfect. I'm, I mean, someone going in a press conference and saying they're the they were the fittest man in the world doesn't sound doesn't sound real. But I know it. Uh, like to be fair, when you see that in context, he's he's not. He's clearly. Not so, Matt. Well, he's, he's just slightly he exaggerating the fact. That he, well, he very much exaggerating the fact. That he, what, he said, no, what, what he was saying was, I wasn't a great player, so I made myself the fittest, fittest bun in the world. Uh, you know what he means. He, mean, he means he's really worked as fit. He didn't sort of come out and go, I'm the fittest man in the world. I will take on, yeah, the world marathon record holder, the, the winner of superstars. I, I don't know. Who, who is secretly thinks that though? He definitely know he secretly thinks backs that. himself. He definitely backs himself, which is <laughs> yeah, nothing. There's nothing wrong with oh, some of those press conference soundbites. They were getting more and more ridiculous by the week, and there was. A, I mean, I've turned into the Nathan Jones podcast. Here. There's one that's game where I, th- I think, I think, he, I think he switched system about 17 times during a game during one Southampton game. He could come back of his mind. <laughs> what 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 he wanted to do? He'll, he'll regret leaving leaving Luton. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I'm going to ask you both a question then. Who is who is going up? Coventry or Luton bit? It's such a tight one to call because it, you know I think Coventry I think Luton I keep sort of switching between two I think Coventry might just edge it but I think it'll go the full 120 minutes I think it's going to extra time I can see penalty shootout Jonathan? Luton 
Luton. I just think they're better sides by you know ten points over the season is is quite. A lot. I know it doesn't always play out, but um, having having seen them both against Sunderland, I would say Luton were the better side. There was a phase. I don't know whether it's still a thing where the team that finished third just never used to go up. It just just never used to happen. Do you remember that? For, do you remember that phase? And people used to complain about it. Oh, it's not fair because the team that finishes third doesn't get any kind of reward for it. But everyone knows the rules before the season starts. Yeah. It's made I, it better. I, it's definitely made it better. But... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's going to who's going to go up. Like Jonathan said, I've not seen enough of, of either team really to know. But I'll back Coventry because I'd like to see another Midlands team in the in the Premier League. That that would be my preference. So if that's what I want to happen, well done, Luton. You're in the Premier League next season. That does us for the Edge of the Box podcast this week. No, just, just a minute because a few of the games are, are dead rubber and we've kind of gone through the permutations earlier on in the show. So thank you very much for watching. We'll be back next week with an FA Cup preview, so look out for that. Subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on and give the video a like and a comment if you have enjoyed it. Have a good rest of the week. Enjoy all the football at the weekend and stay safe.